Pushkin. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase and a member FDIC 2024 J.P. Morgan Chase and Co. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. My research group has studied this phenomenon where at the beginning of sort of a new chapter in your life, you are more motivated and likely to make a change. That's Dr. Katie Milkman author of the book, How to Change. Moments when you, you know, leave college and you shift identities and take on a new role or when you become a parent, those moments, they feel like new beginnings and chapter breaks in our lives and they free us from the baggage that we had before. A lot of people who do make big change are looking at moments that feel like breaking points and doing it. Katie Milkman's a professor of behavioral economics at the University of Pennsylvania. She's also a friend and collaborator. We got to work together on some projects when I was in the Obama White House. And she happens to be an expert on change. As you know, this show is all about how people navigate the big changes in life. We're talking swing for the fences, change your life type changes. What Katie's research has taught me over the years is that small tweaks to our mindset and daily behaviors can actually inspire big change within ourselves. I've personally been using insights from Katie's research in my own life for a while now. In this special episode, Katie and I dive deep into the science of change. I hope our conversation will leave you with some valuable tips to help you approach change differently in your own life. I'm Maya Shankar, and this is A Slight Change of Plans. Katie, I was curious to know how you got into the topic of change. Honestly, I was in love with behavioral science, but it took me a little while to figure out that I wanted to focus on change. And what happened is I went to a seminar over at the med school. And there's a bunch of brilliant people over there thinking about behavioral science and medicine. How can we help patients make better decisions? How can we improve the decisions of doctors as well? And I was in this seminar and a graph went up, which normally doesn't change your life, but this graph changed my life. The graph just showed a breakdown of how many premature deaths are due to different causes from, you know, accidents to uh, environment 
to daily decisions. And 40% of premature deaths turn out to be the result of decisions that we can change on a daily basis about things like whether or not we drink or smoke, what we eat, whether or not we're physically active, we buckle our seatbelts. Those kinds of decisions accumulate more than I could have ever imagined. I had just no idea of the magnitude. And when I saw that and realized, you know, the tools of behavioral science could be applied to improve health outcomes and health decisions, I could have this enormous impact. And then then I sort of started thinking like, okay, well, if it matters that much with health, it's sort of obvious that it would accumulate in areas like savings and education. Similarly, even if I've never seen an exact breakdown of, of that sort. So that really just got me excited about the potential to use this thing that I found so interesting, so exciting and fun to actually have an impact. So that was that was it for me. I'm really curious about how your journey changed because you've had many career shifts, but you certainly went from, you know, a more laboratory-based focus to, you know, jumping into the White House to tackle change head-on from a policy perspective. How did how did you shift? Um, It's interesting because in my mind, my big shift in life was from the violin to cognitive science. But I'm just remembering like, oh, wait, I also had this other really big shift. You've had a lot of big changes. You're the perfect person to host this I think this is true across science, too, but certainly when we were working in the government, the stakes feel so high. Uh, You just can't screw up um, because these are real people's lives and they can be affected uh, by the work you're doing. And yeah, it's so fun. I mean, we we actually worked together on some projects. Actually, one of them used an insight from your book, and it was the fresh start effect. And I'm curious if you can share what the fresh start effect is. It was very exciting at the time to have hot off the presses research coming out of your lab actually applied to a problem that we were trying to solve in the government. So my research group has studied this phenomenon where at the beginning of sort of a new chapter in your life, you are more motivated and likely to make a change. And we've often studied small changes in this context, like you you go to the gym more or you uh, search on Google for the term diet more frequently or you're more likely to set a goal on a goal setting website. But uh, I also think, you know, where the interest in this topic came from was the realization that a lot of people who do make big change are looking at moments that feel like breaking points and doing doing it. And so I tell stories about bigger changes in my book, moments when you, you know, leave college and you shift identities and take on a new role or when you become a parent. Those moments, they feel like new beginnings and chapter breaks in our lives. And I think they're freeing in a way. They free us from the baggage that we had before, but they can also be freeing psychologically because we feel like you're a new person. You can take on a new identity, whatever wasn't working before. Whatever ambition you failed to have before, you can shed that and say, okay, now I can do it. So anyway, I do think we could study big change. And I actually think some of the research we've done around small change is inspired by a recognition that these might also be the triggers for big change. Hmm. Was there a particular moment in your life where you felt uh, the fresh start effect play out, where it, it really felt like a new beginning and there was a certain set of habits or behavior changes that you witnessed? Oh, my gosh. I mean, you know, I do me search, so totally. <laughs> um, meaning, like, a lot of my research is motivated by, like, oh, wow, that's weird. I wonder if other people, and then I, like, ask my friends, oh, yes, me too. And then I realize, okay, like, this might be this might be something we're studying. Um, I will say one example that I love is that 
I realized I, I wanted to write this book for a long time. Finally, um, what happened that triggered it when I actually began, my son was three years old. We decided we were going to move out of our apartment into a house. We bought the house. We signed the papers. And that day I said, you know what? I'm ready. We're moving to a new house. It's a fresh start. This is the moment. And the project started from there. So that that was a big one for me. Interesting. One, one of the um, anecdotes around the fresh start that I love the most is Obama decided that he would stop uh, smoking for good when the Affordable Care Act passed. And I was like, wait a next level, the fresh start effect. <laughs> like he truly chose a once in a lifetime experience to anchor his commitment on. And, and it was like aligned on, you know, it was aligned on like a health focus. Yes, of course. <laughs> of course, so Obama one-ups all of us and does the thing in the best way imaginable. Duh. Um, but I do love that, like, there's no other future one of those where he can be like, oh, maybe I can cave a little now because there'll be this other. <laughs> right. The other time I pass health. Yeah, the other time I pass healthcare as president. <laughs> I love that anecdote. I don't think I knew that, actually. That's amazing. Um, have you used the fresh start effect, Maya? Or like in hindsight, have you ever noticed that a fresh start shifted Absolutely. something for you? I swear, I swear to God, every Sunday I'm committing to eating healthily. <laughs> it's just that there's too many damn Sundays. And so I always feel like I've got so the next one to give it a go. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's hard for so many of us to keep our resolutions. And in reading your book, it did make me think, okay, choose really remarkable milestones for pivoting. Like big moves, like when I moved from D.C. to California, um, getting married, big events like that, because I do think you feel like your identity is changing a, a bit. And and any behaviors at a company, identity shifts might be more sticky, or at least they have been in my experience. I think that's right. And you get the benefit not only of the sort of psychological break and the fresh start and opening a new chapter, but you also have physical change, which is so important to disrupting sort of bad habits or routines and giving you that real blank slate to build upon and say like, oh, I'm not going to go to the burrito shop every day yeah. for, for <laughs> lunch or, you know, whatever your bad habit is that you want to kick. Um, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I think one of my favorite insights from the book, and it's an insight I've been using in my own life since I read your research years ago, is around temptation bundling. Um, do you mind for sharing what that is? And then I'd love to let you know how I've been using it. Yeah, yes, I'm so excited. <laughs> I want to hear about your temptation bundling. Um, that this is going to be fun. So uh, temptation bundling is a solution I came up with because I had two problems. Um, taking you back to grad school again, I was taking all these hard engineering classes and I was stressed out. And I'd come home after a long day of classes and all I wanted to do was just like indulge in entertainment, right? Like turn on Netflix and binge watch TV, uh, read tempting novels. So I just wanted I wanted to dive into that and escape my reality. <laughs> And I didn't want to do my problem sets. Um, on the flip side, I also knew I should really be getting exercise. I've, I was an athlete in college. But again, when I came home from a long day, I didn't want to put on sweats and go to the gym. So these two problems, like I couldn't get myself to do my homework because I was procrastinating, indulging in all this entertainment, and I couldn't get myself to exercise. And all of a sudden, I realized, like, wait a minute. What if I solved them all at once? What if I only let myself enjoy this entertainment that I love so much while I'm exercising. 
I'd start craving trips to the gym to find out what happens next in my latest page turner, and I would stop wasting time at home on this sort of literary garbage that normally captures my attention, and I'd just focus on my problem sets. And I started doing it, and it was just like magic. I worked out every day. Time flew while I was at the gym because I was engrossed in Harry Potter or Alex Cross. Uh, and when I got home, I was ready to work because I'd already had my indulgence, and I, was, I wasn't as stressed out. And I also realized, like, I could use them not only to help me exercise, but in lots of places. Like, if you just tie something tempting to a chore, you can magically turn it into something you look forward to and and do less of that indulgent thing and feel less guilty about it. Like, you know, if only you get a glass of wine while you're making a home-cooked meal or listen to your favorite podcast while you're doing chores. For, or... for all you listeners who are doing laundry right now, Katie and I are cheering <laughs> you on. Go for it. <laughs> Yes. Your temptation bundling, you didn't know there was a name for it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, okay, so I, one of my favorite things in life is discovering a new pop song that I love. And what makes me really sad is that I very quickly, like it loses the spark after a certain number of listens. Like you just know you only have 15 amazing listens with a song <laughs> and before before it kind of becomes old hat, right? Yeah. So as soon as I discover an amazing song, I will only allow myself to listen to it while I'm working out from that point on. And like, I'm a really non-fun wife because my husband sometimes and I will discover the song together and we'll be cooking in the evening. We'll be having fun. He's like, hey, let's play that new album by Casey Musgraves, who's one of my favorite artists. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You don't understand. That's only like a treadmill elliptical song um, because I just feel like I have to protect it and save it. But it certainly makes the workout a lot more tolerable uh, and a little bit more exciting. So yes, I love pop music too. And I feel like we should trade some song recommendations later. So we can each share Please <laughs> no do, more endorphins. It, it's, it's now very seriously tied to my exercise routine. In fact, the one thing that can happen is um, when you temptation bundle, sometimes what can happen is the intrinsic, extrinsic motivation balance gets thrown off kilter a bit. So it's like, initially, I'm just using all of my internal will to go exercise. But now I've got this extrinsic motivator, which is a song. So on the rare occasion where like my headphones are out of battery, or like my phone's Wi-Fi is not working, I'm like, ooh, I don't know if I can do this anymore. Just have to make sure your headphones are, are always working and your, <laughs> your <laughs> iPhone is always charged or whatever you use. Yes. Um, I, I'm wondering whether for Temptation Bundling, you see this played on the wild in, in places that where, where behavior change feels a little bit more serious. Mm, that's interesting. I'm trying to think if I have a great answer for you. Um, there's a study I love of teachers who were trying to figure out how to motivate their students to do more math problems, which kids apparently say they like doing math about as much as they like eating broccoli. So that tells you something <laughs> about how delightful it is. And math is so important to, to everything, uh, as we both know. So... These two researchers suggested basically a temptation bundle. Um, what, what if the kids could, you know, listen to music, have snacks, markers that they like using, and they did that all on the day when they're doing their math worksheets, mm. um, but not at other times. And uh, the teachers were sort of skeptical. They were like, uh, I think they'll focus less because <laughs> they'll be distracted. And it turned yeah. out that kids persisted longer on math when they were randomly assigned to groups that had these um, I'll say temptations linked with them. Uh, it, it's not, you know, it's not changing their lives in that day. It's, it is cumulative. But I think that that's an example of like some of the big goals we have in life, whether it's, 
getting through your math assignments or finishing a dissertation, if you can find a way to make it more enjoyable, that really matters. I love the math example, um, I think for two reasons. I mean, the first is I just love any time research findings violate our expectations. You know, when the teachers are like, oh, I'm not really sure that this is a good idea, but then you're able to generate empirical data that runs counter to that hypothesis. That's wonderful because it's moving the field forward. Um, and, and I think the other reason I love it is that, you know, success begets success. Passion begets passion. It's kind of one of those things where if you get a kid just through that initial period, they're just learning the basics, getting over those initial super hard humps, then they might actually realize that they really like this thing. And it just becomes easier and easier and easier to do every problem from, from that point forward. So I do feel like it can have massive long-term effects. I'm, I'm with you. And if they have positive associations with math, I mean, what, what more could we hope for? We'll be right back with a slight change of plans. Should you send that email you wrote while you were mad? Probably not. Probiotics can't help with all of your gut decisions, but if your gut needs a little support, Ritual has your back. Food choices, stress, or travel can throw off your gut health. That's where Ritual comes in. They made a three-in-one supplement called Symbiotic Plus with clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support a balanced gut microbiome. I make sure to take my Symbiotic Plus every morning, and I always appreciate that it's in a single minty capsule. Ritual prioritizes sustainably sourced ingredients and lower carbon packaging for its products, which is another reason I feel good about taking Symbiotic Plus. There's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slight. Start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash slight for 25% off. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Join hosts Ben Walter, CEO of Chase for Business, and Tanya Nebo, a lawyer and business consultant, on these storytelling journeys of trials, tribulations, and triumphs that hinged on a single event, a split-second decision, or even a stroke of luck. Whether the story is about a warehouse going up in flames or a former partner stealing a whole roster of clients, each episode will showcase the grit, determination, and resourcefulness a small business owner needed to turn a pivotal situation into a springboard for success. Listen to The Unshakables now and learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase, N.A. member, FDIC, 2024, J.P. Morgan Chase & Co. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now.
In this episode, Dr. Katie Milkman and I are talking about the science of change and the different techniques we can use to spur on that change. One technique is called a commitment device, which locks you into a plan to reach your long-term goals. The key feature of a commitment device is that if you don't follow through with your plan, there's some sort of penalty in place. I remember, I'm, I'm curious if you actually remember the experience of first learning about them, because for me, it was like mind-blowing how powerful they were, and actually mind-blowing how few people use them, given how powerful they are. But the study that I love that really, I think, illustrates nicely how much they can help us is a study where they partnered with a bank in the Philippines that saw low savings rates and wanted to figure out if there was a way to help people save more so they'd have the ability to, you know, have better health, have better life outcomes, where they came up with this idea that one of the reasons people were having trouble accumulating savings balances is they were constantly tempted to dip in. They were like, they open the bank account and they put some money aside, but then somebody's birthday or there's a holiday. And and so the money came right back out and it never accumulated. And that people said, you know, actually, I'd kind of like it if I couldn't get that money out. I like kind of wish I couldn't act on those impulses. So they developed this new kind of account. It was a commitment savings account. So you put money in And you are not allowed to take it out until a predetermined date you choose or a savings goal you choose. They offered this kind of account to, you know, a random subset of customers alongside the usual account with the same interest rate but free in and out access. They saved 80% more year over year than than the control. I mean – 80% 80% more savings, right? You've studied savings. I like that that's life-changing. <laughs> yeah. So I love that story. That's a hard commitment because when you put your money in, there is another, you know, there's a third party, the bank, that is saying, like, you cannot have it. It is not accessible to you. I'm prevent I'm preventing you from it. So there's like a hard restriction on access to something. And a commitment device is something you voluntarily opt into that restricts you or penalizes you in some way if you don't achieve your goals or pursue your goals in the way you intend to. So that's a mm. hard one because there's no fudging it. There's soft commitments in the world too. Like, you know, you tell your partner, your mom, you're going to do something and then they and ask them to give you a hard time if you don't. That's like a weak commitment device. You're going to get a little, you're going to get ribbed a little bit. Mm -hmm. You're accountable to someone, but you can back out. Yeah, I also remember learning about commitment devices for the first time. Gosh, we sound like such nerds. We are such nerds. Katie, do you remember where you were? Do you remember the day you learned about commitment devices? I mean, I I remember exactly where I was. I mean, I'm like, yeah, I was in a classroom. (laughs) My head exploded. Where were you? That is hilarious. We are such yes, nerds. I, was, I, know. I was in my kitchen with my roommates and I was reading this paper and I was like, oh, this is so exciting. The researchers ran a study in which they had people outline where, when, and how they were planning to get vaccinated. So that was my study. Oh my <laughs> gosh. This is so fun. The flu shot study I'm talking about is your study. See, that's awesome. Okay. Well, the seminal work by Dr. Milkman. Um, so in your study, you you asked people where, when, and how you're going to go get vaccinated, right? And I think what was so stunning to me is like, you so you write down this form, you know, I'm Maya, 9 a.m. after I drop off my husband at work and I go pick up my groceries, I'm going to go to the CVS and get my flu vaccine. And what was astonishing to me is that it significantly increased the vaccination rate, despite the fact that you weren't accountable to anyone right? In this intervention, you were not required to send the letter back to anyone. No one was on your case. You were literally just planning it out for yourself. And that was enough to significantly drive the numbers up, which to me, again, was such an extraordinary light lift, low cost intervention that could potentially save people's lives. And in your book, you talk about the fact that 
we all have a fairly, maybe not everyone, but many people have a very high view of themselves. Um, <laughs> so they feel like they might not benefit that much from commitment devices. And, um, you know, we can be very over-optimistic about our ability to use willpower to avoid temptation. And I'm wondering if you have any thoughts or advice for helping people overcome this overconfidence so that they can achieve their goals. Yeah, it's funny. Optimism is a really good thing. But in this particular case, it plays tricks on us that are problematic because we don't in general persevere uh, as much as we think we will. And we do tend to be present biased, right? So we dramatically overweight uh, whatever value we'll get from something instantaneously rather mm. than the long-term value. So, you know, I can buy a present right now for myself or I can put money in savings. Uh, I'll take the present even if that's not really good for me in the long run. And uh, if we don't appreciate that this disconnect keeps happening and we think we'll just barrel through and do what's in our, in our long-term best interest, we don't choose to use commitment devices because we don't recognize this challenge. So I, I think it's a really tough nut to crack. And for mm. me, the the big thing was sort of seeing the data and seeing, here's the evidence. If you see it with your own eyes and you see how powerful these tools are and how often mm -hmm. we do stumble, even though we think we'll be able to push through, maybe that evidence will be enough to, to get people to recognize this can be a really potent approach. You have lots of colorful anecdotes sprinkled throughout of real people who are facing these challenges and using these behavioral tricks of the trade. And I do feel like in many ways you're wielding the power of social norms by saying, hey, at least here's a collection of people who are willing to acknowledge that they may be a bit overconfident about their ability to use, for example, willpower uh, to achieve their goals, and they're open to using some of these strategies. So maybe there could be a, a positive norm effect that comes from people reading your book. Fingers crossed. I love that. I like that, the modeling. And, you know, any anytime I can use insights about social norms to make yes. the world a better place, I'm it's a win. <laughs> um, what do you see in the future of change research, in, in your ideal future? When I think about what I'm most intrigued by and feel like we've only scratched the surface of in studying change, there's two big things. One is durability. What are the kinds of tools that really propel change in an incredibly durable way? You know, I think a key takeaway for me has been, like, never stop doing the thing that's working, right? Don't, like, mm -hmm. assume you can temptation bundle for a month. Then you've built an exercise habit, and magically, Maya, you will, like, never need to listen to a pop song again, and you'll always want to <laughs> yeah. go to the gym. So you got to keep doing that. Mm -hmm. So so we know that. But are there any magical things that where if you sort of can put them on autopilot or do them for a little while and they propel you forward— I wonder. I would love to uncover some if they exist. And then um, the other thing I'm really intrigued by is setbacks and mm. how to sort of how to prepare for them and recover from them as effectively as possible. I think some of the most interesting ideas I have encountered around change um, work because they have some, they help us with those setbacks. I think fresh starts sort of help us with the setbacks. They're mm -hmm. like, okay, wipe the slate clean. Here, I get to get up and go again. There's um, wonderful work by my colleague Marissa Sharif on 
emergency reserves where she's figured out these clever ways that you set a tough goal but give yourself a couple get-out-of-jail-free cards if you Mm -hmm. can't achieve it every day of the week and found that that's way better than giving yourself sort of like a slightly easier goal because Mm -hmm. you're you're going for the stretch but you're giving yourself a little leeway. Um, I think that also is like about getting back up. So I think there's some really fundamental interesting things to be explored around creating structures for success after a setback. Mm. And I I look forward to studying that too. Katie, one of the things that I feel most intimidated by is this challenge of how it is we can change people's minds. It feels like one of those really elusive things and there's no one-size-fits-all approach. Uh, And I'm just wondering if you have any thoughts on the most effective strategies you've seen, either in research or just in your personal life around how to change people's minds. Yeah, it's such an interesting question. Um, It's obviously really hard, just like behavior change is hard. uh, Changing opinions is really hard. I think actually there are some common themes, though, and one, one common theme is exploration. So when we talked about the fresh start effect and how these disruptions in our lives can lead us to sort of be in a new environment and you can therefore explore and and you don't have old bad habits necessarily already built to fall back on. There's also an opportunity to do that in terms of mindset shift. So I think when we have a set of beliefs and expectations, we're less likely to explore and read and talk to people outside of our, our perspective. But um, if if we can, if there's a moment that creates or forces some experimentation um, and exploration, that can be incredibly powerful. Yeah, I like that too, because it's not so pointed, right? It's not like, I need you to change your opinion about this thing. It's, let me just try to get you to expose yourself to stuff, period. I'm wondering if you have any concrete ideas on how we can motivate people to engage in that exploration, because exploration is very uncomfortable, right? Like we all have deeply entrenched views within us. Purposely going on a mission to challenge those views is not exactly the most fun adventure. It's just, it's filled with cognitive dissonance. It just feels uncomfortable. And so how do we incentivize people to go on those little missions? You know, I I have to think that a big part of it is probably through uh, social norms, which is such a powerful tool. For instance, if you end up with a roommate who's a good student, um, your grades are likely to be a bit higher. So, you know, if we point out... uh, others like you who have changed their mind, it gives mm. you license to say like, oh, maybe like you know, it's reasonable for someone like me to, to keep exploring and keep thinking about different ideas. I think that might be an, a way that we can introduce this exploration concept and not have it be too threatening and have it be appealing. I think that's exactly right. I mean, it's reminding me, there's this one interview I did with a woman named Megan Phelps Roper, and she ends up leaving this hate group cult church And I was asking her, are you using your platform today to convince other people? Because there's so much research showing the power of a convert. So when you hold the views that this person in front of you previously held, and then you watch them walk you through their journey of changing their minds, it can open your mind in a really unique way because you feel attached to their former value system, right? You know that you started in the same place, but they ended up in a different place. I know the Department of Homeland Security uses this insight all the time by recruiting former extremists to to try to convert <laughs> potential extremists away from that craft. It's so interesting, too, because I'm thinking about, like, the original, like, 1955 uh, 
Solomon Ash experiments where he'd bring all these people into a room and he'd show them two cards. One had one line on it and one had three. And you had to figure out which of those three lines was the same length as the one line. And it seems like this really simple task. And it was fairly straightforward. People didn't get it wrong, except when he introduced social pressure. So he'd bring a group in and have seven of them consistently give the same wrong answer before you give your answer. And people started messing up and they're like totally confused. But what was really interesting, you know, that that's the famous finding. When everybody else says the wrong answer, you go along with it a lot. And you actually like believe that you must be seeing things. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite sub-findings that I think gets less play is that if there's just one truthful person in that set, so six people out of the seven say the wrong answer, but one says the right answer, you're much more likely to follow your intuition and and say what you really think is right. So anyway, I I think that that's interesting in relation to this sort of power of of the one person who broke free. Just Mm. seeing one person who agrees with your or shows you a slightly different worldview can make it possible for you to feel comfortable going against the grain. Yeah, I love that. So really want to get your thoughts on this. Um, we are living in a world right now where we're, we're almost in like the self-help moment, right? Where everybody's trying to optimize um, mm. their lives. And I do wonder where the limits are of that. And at one point, you have to say, you know what? Like, I just can't spend my whole life trying to optimize. I just need to kind of be and live and exist. And the reason I ask that is it's alarming to me. I'll I'll hear certain people say, oh, yeah, no, it's super important to be bored uh, because actually boredom makes you more productive. So it's like (laughs) even boredom is now an instrumental thing for becoming more productive. Like, oh, yeah, make sure you stare out the window for at least five minutes a day because that'll help you be more productive. I, I feel like sometimes we don't just do things because we've, we just value those things. We always do things because they have some instrumental value in terms of achieving something else. And that, and that's also super interesting, Maya, because those are like little hacks, right? Like, oh, you know, stare out the window for five minutes. And, and, um, and if we like fill our life with all those little hacks, we actually don't make space for the big momentous change. That's so interesting. Yeah. And you're, you're saying that because it's like, oh, it's just taking up all your brain airwaves that you're not. Yeah. You just don't have to, the time to think macro. It's a great point. Um, I think I'll wrap by asking what the biggest change you feel you've experienced in your life is. Oh, my gosh. There's so many, which is part of what makes life so fun. Um, (laughs) I think, honestly, one of the biggest, most important changes for me went from being focused on figuring out how to do my own work or live my own life to taking on the role of coaching and helping other people. All of those relationships sort of reinforce the same change, which is how meaningful it is to be looking out for someone else besides yourself and how much you can learn about everything when you are coaching and helping someone else. And that helped me actually be better at everything. So I would say that's the biggest shift I've had in my life, and I hope everyone will get that opportunity to have that kind of a shift. Wow, what a positive change. What a positive beat to end on. (laughs) (laughs) I know how busy you are and I know how much you optimize your life in order to make room for these kinds of conversations. So thank you so much. It was really fun to chat with you. This was so fun. Oh my gosh.
Hey, thanks for listening. See you next week when I talk with rock climber Tommy Caldwell. He says a near-death experience where he was taken hostage propelled him to become one of the best rock climbers in the world. I definitely always felt like adversity is what brings us to life, but Hmm. this turned up the volume on that in a pretty incredible way. In some ways, my climbing ever since then has been an effort to almost get back there in a way and, and learn more. A Slight Change of Plans is created and executive produced by me, Maya Shunker. Big thanks to everyone at Pushkin Industries, including our producer, Mola Board, associate producers, David Jaw and Julia Goodman, executive producers, Mia Lavelle and Justine Lang, senior editor, Jen Guerra, and sound design and mix engineers, Ben Tolliday and Jason Gambrell. Thanks also to Luis Guerra, who wrote our theme song, and Ginger Smith, who helped arrange the vocals incidental music from Epidemic Sound. And of course, a very special thanks to Jimmy Lee. You can follow A Slight Change of Plans on Instagram at Dr. Maya Shunker. (laughs) Anytime they violate our... Sorry. (coughs) A frog in my throat. (laughs) Actually, I'm like, oh, yeah. Even though I'm a vegetarian, I occasionally get a frog. (laughs) You're not chewing Sorry. it, so it's not. Yeah, not and chewing don't it. Swallow. Spitting it right back out. The tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer, Enter today. If you win, you'll be publicly honored among some of the most influential leaders in industry. And me, I'll be there too. Enter now at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there.